Hello, you're listening to Perpetual Learning. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Today, we'll talk about seeking excellence in our careers by dipping into the ways athletes train. That's right, Manjula. It's, you know, the idea of approaching your work like a high-performing athlete, and I'm still in Siva. You know, so then when I first saw your newsletter on this topic, uh, what popped into my mind is that, oh, this is going to be another piece about the late Kobe Bryant and that whole Mamba mentality, you know, his philosophy about working harder than every other guy in the court and uh, and working diligently in improving the small details of his game, which I've always found fascinating. And and it would have been interesting. But then I started reading it and realized that, that what you wrote about was actually completely new to me. So, so let's get into this. You were inspired by an article that's, that's over two decades um, old now. Tell me about it. Yeah, I came across this HBR article on the makings of a corporate athlete by Jim Loher and, and T- Tony Schwartz. And to your point, you normally see content around performance related to athletes or even founders, but never around people who are working within larger corporates. And the idea of taking a similar approach to athletes and applying it in a corporate setting really resonated with me and and completely uh, love the plug to uh, Kobe Bryant as well. Definitely uh, ties into uh, how I view the corporate athlete as well. Well, this philosophy isn't only for moving up the ladder. It's also for surviving through some of the crazy business cycles that we see in the corporate world. Is that right? Absolutely. Right. Whether it's related to the industry you're in or more people oriented, a.k.a. management changes, which with larger corporations happen every two, three years, I feel. You know, there's constant changes when it comes to uh, working at larger corporates and it's not quite as stable as it may have been in past generations. So completely agree there. And before we get into how to practice this particular philosophy for, for peak performance, what are the approaches that, that most companies try that, that have sort of mixed results? I think it largely comes to, comes down to incentives, right? So whether it's, mm. you know, compensation, bonuses, you know, other material rewards, uh, talking about culture or at the very, you know, at the very least paying lip service to it. And then using objectives, measuring performance as well. Those are usually how people kind of track performance and ultimately create expectations. And the problem that comes out of this is that, you know, you're, you're not really training people to perform better, rather you just placing the expectation on them and hoping that they perform. And so you end up getting into this environment where you're churning through a lot of people in these high performance roles or teams and and never can have the expectation that they can last in this role for the long term. Now, there's a, a pyramid to this philosophy Paint a picture for me, like give me a sense of what the different levels are, starting with the base of the pyramid. Yes, I think, you know, at its basis, you know, it starts with physical capacity. So anything just around peak physical performance, your ability to kind of, you know, last or or work through the hours and, and days and years, then comes emotional capacity, right? From a performance perspective, are you in the right environment, Um, you know, both internally and externally, 
then becomes mental capacity, right? What kind of energy level do you have? And then, you know, spiritual capacity, which is more passion related or motivation related, which is also quite important. And, you know, they kind of all reinforce each other to, uh, to essentially create this, you know, high performing corporate athlete. And it's, it's pretty much like you have to have the base before you can sort of get to the other levels in some sense. That's why it's this, it's this pyramid. Now we can't get into every single detail about the pyramid here. Uh, People can certainly find that in your, in your newsletter, but I do want to get into what's at the base level and the top level. So, so let's start with that base level, physical capacity. It's the, it's the foundation of the pyramid. So I hear or so I see. Why does it matter? It's ironic because even though it's the base of the pyramid, it often gets neglected by most folks working in larger corporates, right? To me, it's a combination of good eating, getting regular sleep, and obviously working out. And you know, whether you're an athlete or working at a larger corporate, you need to build a strong rigor around this. If you're striving to move to the top or just go through all these cycles and Oftentimes, it's the piece that gets prioritized the least um, by most of these folks that are going through this process. So make the connection for me between that set of habits, you know, that physical capacity habits, and and the approach that, that athletes take. Like, what can we learn from the approach that athletes take? Yeah, it's all about building the right habits and creating consistency around those habits, in my opinion. So it's you know, very important to, you know, and the article points this out as building positive rituals and in my mind, stacking habits from there, right? There's no wholesale change or overnight formula that you can create when it comes to building up physical activity. It's really, or physical capacity, sorry. It, it's really a function of, you know, taking small habits, building it on, on one on top of the other. And then over time, you'll have realized that, you know, your capacity to do more has just grown. Mm. Now, here you have that, that is the foundation, and then the pyramid builds up. You have emotional capacity, uh, then you work on mental capacity, and then spiritual capacity at, at the top of that pyramid. Explain spiritual capacity to me. Yeah, I'll keep this one short. To me, it's the energy that it, that is unleashed by tapping into you know, deep values and really creates a sense of purpose um, to the role and, and to what you do. How would, how would someone work on that? How would someone work on spiritual capacity? I think it, it, it's a bit interesting. I think, you know, you really need to build in rituals that give you the opportunity to pause and, you know, look at the bigger picture, right? So whether that's meditation, journaling, uh, you know, praying, long showers or drives even, you know, you you should really allow yourself to pull back from the day-to-day and look at kind of the 50,000 feet level and and make sure that, you know, everything that you're doing really resonates with you personally. Mm, Reflection. I I love that. I love that. I love that idea. I I probably need to know, do more of it, but I do like it. Uh, For someone listening who's, who's new to all of this, um, like me, what are three actionable ways people can start practicing this idea of the corporate athlete tomorrow? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's any specific actionable ways to get at this. I think there is a certain formula as you explore each part of the pyramid, right? And I think it's different for each person, but I'd say the first step is 
building capacity at any of these levels um, by starting to get small, like starting to set small goals and then get quick wins and then ultimately build momentum from there. So not trying everything all at once or trying to become an athlete right away, but really viewing it as a long-term journey and, and starting small so that you can stack habits on one on top of the other and, and building momentum from there. Pardon me, I'm going to turn off my phone. This is one of those things that happens on live things. You know, I, I, yeah. it's interesting that I, that I look at this. Um, I look at this and I think that, that I get it now. I get that when you build these things in a way, you know how there's all of this talk about resilience through the pandemic to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Whenever I hear that, I, I always think, well, what does that mean? And the idea is that if you have all of these things built, you know, you might not really notice the effect they have on you during normal times. But if you go through something like a product launch or an IPO or a pandemic or some really difficult episode in the corporate world, you can now use that capacity. And that's when you leverage it. Would that be the right assessment? Yes, absolutely. Now, this particular newsletter was, was really rich, by the way. You have this whole other section on best practices for leaders at startups, um, you know, whether it's building teams, um, a section that was inspired by Ross Hoffman's writing. I know that startup leaders wear so many hats, you know, they may have to feel like they're a star player. Um, they may feel like they have to model being a star player so that everyone else is. Uh, then they have to be a GM on some days and perhaps a coach on another day. And sometimes all of these things on one day. Talk to me about approaching this in stages instead. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. The, the way I saw it was, you know, you have the corporate athlete kind of looking at people at an individual level. But then when you take more of a macro approach within a business, not even just startups, it really applies to how people should think about, you know, their individual strengths when you're building a team, right? And, and so a star player may be very good at, let's say, you know, sales or, or customer success or whatever the case might be. That doesn't necessarily make them a great coach or a GM, right? The best salespeople don't often become the best sales leader, mm-hmm. right? And so often we make the mistake of pushing star players into GM coach roles that may not fit their skill set, and ultimately we set them up for failure, right? And, and so kind of recognizing that the talent and the skills required to be a star player is very different from a coach versus a GM where you're really trying to pick talent. And so as you evolve through these different stages, you know, some people are able to make that transition, which is wonderful, but some people aren't. And that's fine as well. And, you know, the more you recognize that and build your team accordingly, I think the better off that or the easier it will be to build uh, those teams. What's interesting, another point that you made in the, in your piece was the idea that you like small teams. So do I. I, I find them nimble, um, for a ton of reasons. I, I really do like small teams. Now, for everyone listening, you have to check out the newsletter because there's so many other details on this front. But, but before you go, so then I, I did want you to list the four learnings that that you 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 have this bullet point of four learnings that you have for building a team. Can you take us through those very quickly? 
Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the four takeaways that I've had and, and continue to kind of, you know, work on is, you know, always hiring people who think differently and have the potential to do the job better than yourself. I think as you constantly upscale and, you know, improve the talent on your team, I think everyone benefits from it. Second one, I'd say is setting clear expectations as to what your employees can expect from you and what you expect from them. I think, you know, during the interview process, you know, some folks do the 30, 60, 90 day, um, you know, goals or, or plan as a part of the process. And I think that's a wonderful way of setting the right expectations on both ends and, and making sure that everyone knows what they're getting into. Um, third one I'd say is, you know, don't sell candidates uh, on a vision that you can't deliver on. I think, you know, I always try to explain what can go wrong and why someone could fail at this role. And you see this more in startups or, you know, high growth organizations and you know it's, it's natural I think, oh uh, i'm very in i'm into that to, uh, oh yes <laughs> very, very important to uh <laughs> make sure that you keep things realistic to the extent that that's possible and the last one i'd say is just try to recruit uh versus putting out a job posting i think you're able to uh mm. source your candidate flow a bit better build in diversity improve the overall quality of candidates ultimately creates a more productive process and one that, uh, you know, should improve your overall uh, pool, or, you know, your overall talent pool, which I think is uh, obviously quite important when you're building a team. And and you cold message people, do you then? Because I would imagine that's that's sort of, you can't just hang around and wait yeah. for that, that recruiting pipeline to fill up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that reaching out cold and, and, you know, seeing who might be interested versus seeing who applies to the job is uh, is usually a much better process. For recruiting. But it is a tougher process, though, if you're doing the, the cold messaging. Yes and no. I mean, depending on, you know, whoever is applying to your job, you're spending a lot of time interviewing folks and reading resumes who likely don't fit the job anyway. So mm, that's just shift true. some of that time to uh, cold outreach. Very interesting. Well, that's that's actually a nice little realization at the end, too, um, that I just noted while we even though I read the newsletter that I just noted while we spoke. So then great topic. My goodness, a very rich newsletter and uh, lots of food for thought. So we talking next week. Absolutely. Great. Look for look forward to it. Sounds great. Check soon.